You're listening to the iterators of the Imperium. Hi, I'm Miss, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Ryan. And you're listening to Season 3 of the Iterators of the Imperium podcast, the podcast in which Ryan is the expert on Warhammer 40k, and I am the noob trying to learn about the Warhammer universe. And as you guys can see, our beautiful studio is in flames because we're talking about the traitors. Which one it is, I do not know. But Ryan is going to uh, to tell us a story about the traitor momentarily. But yeah. Let's get into it, Ryan. So, you take it over. Well, so there's two things we need to do before we start here, right? Because yes. I don't know if you remember, but in the last episode, you said you wanted to do the intro bit, the little script thing that I have this time. You said hey. you wanted to try and go through that. You were being cocky, so I'm challenging you for that. But before that, so you're going to get a minute to try and get it straight in your head. I do just want to mm-hmm. mention something, right? So, uh general you know social media nonsense are you aware of threads the new app that's turned up oh i've heard about it yeah i actually have yes do you know anything about it really or just heard of it i know nothing about it so (laughs) to be honest best i can tell it's it's instagram's version of twitter right it seems to work very similarly to twitter right it seems to just be a new competitor for that type of social media right yeah now it is directly linked to Instagram as well, which is quite cool. It works quite nicely together. Uh, yeah. I'm not big on social media, as you know, but I saw it and I was like, ah, screw it, I'll set it up. Um, and I've had a bunch of, like, random people follow me, right? Not like a large number. I've only got, like, 12 followers, right? But I only know who, like, four of them are, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, yeah. And one of the people that followed me... Uh, when I looked into it, I found out that they are a Black Library author. <laughs> and oh. not only that, they are an author of a novel that I quite enjoyed. <laughs> oh! Yeah. So I actually just want to take a moment to recommend a book to you, right? So right. it's a short story, right? This is it here. It's called The Stacks by Chris Winterton, right? Uh, it is part of like an anthology novel called The Resting Places, which is a Warhammer horror, right? Special yeah. genre that they're doing. So it's just horror stories set within these universes, uh, 40k and Sigmar. And uh, this particular one is an Inquisition archivist who basically just gets told to go find an old tome, but kind of loses their mind in the process. <laughs> it's creepy, it's cool. Uh, this was that anthology was the first of the Warhammer horror ones I ever read, um, mm-hmm. and to be honest with you, there wasn't any one of them that I would have been like this one was my favorite. I just liked the whole thing, but I found it really cool when I found out that Chris Winterton decided to follow me on Threads. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to take that chance to recommend this uh, to recommend the Resting Places novel, the anthology, mm-hmm. to anyone and everyone. Seems nice. Seems nice. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, on you go, Mez. Let's hear the intro. Oh, God. Well, all right. Well, if, as I recall, right, right, right off the bat, I'm a super baby. I'm a little theoretical, metaphorical, as you usually say, mm-hmm. super baby. Mm-hmm. And I have been sent out of space. Uh, I can't remember what the year. Was it like between 700 or 800 or the 30th millennia, right? Spot on, mate. Spot on. Uh, 
Hey, okay, okay. I can do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, sent away in my little pod, and I don't know which planet it is on that I'm crashing through because Ryan is going to tell us momentarily. Yes. But I've crashed probably into some mountains and stuff like that. That is a common theme. <laughs> That, uh, that is a common theme. It's like <laughs> Superman or Dragon Ball, I swear to God. <laughs> it just is. And yes, uh, this planet is probably very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know the dangers of it, but I will be found by some of the native people who are there. Or wolves. Or wolves. <laughs> or animals. <laughs> um, <laughs> And soon, because I am indeed a super baby, they and myself will realize I am not quite normal. I am indeed a specifically made for a purpose, <laughs> and I will go out to seek uh, that purpose myself, or it will come to me in a, a golden cladded armor later <laughs> on in the story. Also a common theme. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's that's about it from, from the top of my head, but... <laughs> Yes. Did I miss anything, Ryan? Uh, you. So my thing is usually the bit about you being sure, baby. Then there's a little bit yes. about the the date uh, and the Eldar situation. Then oh, there's yes. a little the summary of what's. Press press. Yep. Yep. Then there's a little yep. summary of what's going on back on Terra, and then there's the thing of, oh. but none of that's what's going on. That's true. Wait, I can I can do this. Hold on. All right. So Shalanesh just took his first breath, and. Uh, back on Terra, the Emperor is finally setting out to, uh, well, get his plans going on. And yeah. Now I got that as well. Yeah. Did I do all right? Did I do all right? I think you did pretty well, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to say now, that went better than any of the quote guessing ever did. So we'll call that a win. <laughs> hey, yo. Hey, yo, I'm too good again. <laughs> <laughs> like without knowing which planet it is, it is on, and like what's really going on, who it is, I think that was all right. That's know? pretty good, yeah. So uh, I, could, I could do next week's as well, you know. Oh I, yeah, <laughs> I'll practice. <laughs> <laughs> so right. today we are heading over to the uh, world of Barbarus, which is, you know, to the galactic south of Terra. This is actually a galaxy map, by the way. Right, it's yeah. set out in a different segmentums, right? So, segmentum Pacificus, uh, Ultima segmentum, so on and so forth. Uh, so, this bottom one here, the one that's highlighted, is segmentum Tempestus, right? And Ooh. that world that is highlighted is Barbarous, and that's where we're heading today. This is what the planet looks like. Ooh, okay. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, as we tend to do, I'm going to give you a little bit about the planet, because why not? <laughs> so, Barbarus is a feral world, right? So there are different classifications for planets, as we've mentioned, like death worlds, feral worlds, fuel worlds, so on and so forth. Uh, yeah. There's also waste worlds. That might not be the correct term, but it's essentially that. There is a type of world that is literally just one massive garbage heap. <laughs> okay <laughs> like there's tons of them all over the galaxy and then they'll just have like a team of humans or or servitors there that just scour it for scrap <laughs> just a trash world quite yeah literally yeah literally yeah <laughs> but in this case it is a feral world which means that there are humans it is civilized but it's in a 
in a technological state which is like medieval kinda. Yeah. Um, so it's it's prior to like black powder weapons. So they don't really have guns. Is the concept here technologically wise? Right. Yeah. And the populace has to be below a certain number as well, I believe, for it to classify as a feral world. So it's yeah. relatively low population, pretty old tech, right? Nothing too fancy going on here. So you're probably getting the usual tribes of barbarians murdering each other. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is quite a unique world, right? In that it is populated, but it also is not habitable for humans. <laughs> okay. So the atmosphere of Barbarus contains a... Let me get this right. A low-density poison vapor, right? Yeah. So a lot of this planet is just coated in a fog of poison, which will kill humans, right? But because it's lower density than, like, breathable atmosphere, it's only the upper areas that have it. So the higher you go, the further you get into this dense fog of poison. So humans can live on this world, technically, but only in, like, the lowlands and in valleys and stuff. (laughs) Great. Fun times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, the sun for this planet is terrible. (laughs) Uh, it's just a really dull sun. It's not like the Necron one that's radioactive and murdering everyone. It's just a pretty yeah. shit sun. It doesn't produce a lot of light, right? Well, it's quite just, dim. Just, yeah, I was just about to say, though, however, this looks like the freaking sun. <laughs> like, what do you <laughs> it mean? Does. It looks like the sun. That's the sun's about as bright as this is the problem. <laughs> Well, that, yeah, that does not emit much light then, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, Having one guy that far away with a flashlight would probably do more than their (laughs) son does. Having some guy with an iPhone and a flashlight on that. Yeah. (laughs) uh, So even, like, their night times are obviously dark. They have long nights, and what little daylight they do get is pretty dim daylight. Oh, God. Yeah, so it sounds horrendous. Yeah, it just sounds depressing, right? Oh, cool! I have to live at the bottom of a valley. I can't see the sky because it's just poison fog above me, waiting to get me if I stand on a step ladder. (laughs) Like it's cold all the time. (laughs) Well, it's not an overly cold planet. So what I'm assuming is actually that it's relatively close to the sun. The sun just isn't very good. The sun is just very dim. Yeah, although saying that, the poison vapor probably has like a greenhouse gas effect. So maybe it yeah. would be cold if it wasn't poisonous. Hmm. It sounds like Denmark, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Denmark might be the happiest place in the world, or is it the most depressing place in the world? I can't remember which. Uh, supposedly the second happiest in the world. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've gone down to second, and it's because of me, because I'm so sad. <laughs> <laughs> You're dragging down the average. <laughs> I'm dragging down the average, I guess. Move to Scotland, you'll be like the happiest guy here. Uh, probably. Just <laughs> <laughs> because all of you, you, you guys are like depressed. <laughs> you'll drag the average up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Arborus is a vaguely miserable planet, right? Uh, do you want the icing on the misery cake? Lay it on me. There is a cast of like of Xenos that rule the planet. 
So because the humans have to be in the lowlands and they can survive in the poisonous fogs, they just live in the mountains where the humans can't go to. Uh, So they just come down with, like, zombies and stuff and just steal humans and ransack their shit and stuff like that once in a while. Just because. (laughs) Just because. Just because. Uh, So for the record, right, it is officially documented that they are Xenos. Or that they were Xenos, I should say, because they're all dead now, so we'll, we'll never get a clear answer on this. Yeah. But there is some belief, because their known fighting forces were basically shambling undead humans, that it's mm-hmm. also quite likely that they were actually just, like, ancient humans that the now existing ones were, like, descendants of. So, like, they are you know, long-lost versions of the humans that initially inhabited Barbarous, right? That have since succumbed to a combination of the poison mists and chaos worship. So they've just became, like, kind of warp-twisted, and that's why they're able to survive the fog, but also that would explain why they have, like, shambling undead as their underlings. Yeah. Yeah. So might be might have been some kind of alien, might have been like Nurgle's kids. We don't know for sure, we'll never find out, because this was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. So there's a bunch of these people that act as like overlords and just come down into the valleys to steal humans and stuff once in a while and murder things. And they all fight amongst each other. Nice. Yeah. And so we come to you. This is where your story kicks off, right? You hurtle through the atmosphere, pummel to the ground in this big wide open plain, right? Big wide open kind of grassy plain. And your pod obviously breaks open from the impact. And as you lay there in your now broken incubation pod, around you, the ground is just littered with the dead and dying Mm, lovely. Mm. Uh, and as babies tend to do, you begin to cry. Right? Which is weird, because none of the other Primarchs are ever documented as crying when they pummel into the ground and almost Wait. die. Actually, yeah. Why am I crying, Ryan? You're freaking out, like, man. I'm, I don't know. I thought I, I thought I was a super baby. Yeah, you'll, you're a sensitive one today, okay? I guess so. Yeah. A bit less super, a little more baby this time, I guess. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. So, you started crying. And it might be because you're inhaling poison, actually. You might just be in incredible pain from the moment of your birth. It sounds plausible. Yeah, because you didn't land in a valley. You landed in, like, a flat plain. So you're in the poison. Oh, God. Yeah. So it might actually just be that your insides are burning. (laughs) (laughs) Which would make sense. I'd probably cry because of that. Never mind a baby. Uh, So, you lie there, crying, and the thing is, you had landed in the middle of an active battlefield. (laughs) Right? The bodies lying around weren't because of your pod. You just, like, landed on top of people that had already been murdered. Or injured severely. <laughs> oh, right? God. And yeah. 
there was this great warlord, right? This is the most powerful of these overlords, right? Who was the one who had just ransacked this battlefield. He had just won this war. And he was kind of, he was relatively nearby, reveling in his victory. And he hears you crying. And he's like, yeah. the fuck is that? <laughs> so he <laughs> spends he spends a day, or over a day actually, hunting for you, following the sound of you crying, till he finds you. Wait, wait just a second. How loud am I crying? <laughs> well, that's the crying. thing. Not that loud, because it took him a day and a half, or a day and a bit to find you. No, but I mean, like, as soon as you can hear it, you should be, like, able to find it, like, relatively quickly, right? I would think so. Like, I'm guessing it's a combination of possibly, like, starting and stopping crying a lot, like babies tend to do. Cry for a little yeah. bit, stop for a little bit, cry for a little bit, stop for a little bit. I imagine it's a combination of that, possibly it being a very large battlefield, and possibly the sounds of the dying all around you making it awkward. Oh, you know what? That might actually, you know, yeah. Yeah, it might have been kind of yeah. awkward to find you if you kind of take all that into account. Like, like yeah. the ground was littered with the dead and dying. So this was a mm. big battlefield, right? So big area, a lot of people making weird noises. Yeah, you know. He probably yeah. stopped to stomp people to death every once in a while because they were making noises, <laughs> you know? Like, Shut up. <laughs> at a certain point, you start double tapping and make finding the baby easier. Hey, I like that Zombie Land reference right there. Right? <laughs> double tap. Yeah. Always double tap. Yeah. Rule one, double tap. Or it might have been rule two, actually. I think rule one was cardio. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, knows. yeah, right away, yeah. Yeah. So... Eventually, this dude finds you, right? And mm -hmm. this dude was bewildered by the concept of you, right? Because you were just a baby and a human at that. And there you were, and you were just crying away at yourself. But you're in the middle of, like, dense poison fog. As a human, you should not be able to breathe. Never mind cry openly. Yeah. Right? So this dude is like, what the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> right? What the fuck is this? But he was obviously he was surprised, but he was also very impressed with you because this is not something a human baby should be able to do. So he's not like die instantly. So. Yeah, he just decides he's taking you. Right? He's like, I'm adopting this one, right? Because this guy had wanted a kid for a while, but oh. he's a big weirdo alien, possibly chaos monster guy. Right, so the chances of finding a, a woman to mate with him are probably pretty low. I don't know, Ryan. Uh, there is some pl pretty ugly dudes out there who's getting lucky. I'm not <laughs> Look, everyone is someone's fetish, okay? <laughs> I guess so. So, regardless, except for this guy. Well, yeah, because he was murdering all the humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does not help his case, right? <laughs> that does not sit well with women. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Charles Manson's a pretty popular dude. <laughs> oh, let's, yeah. Yeah. That's a new. So, he adopts you. He takes you in, yeah. right? And his intention is to raise you as his own, obviously, because he wants a kid. But yeah. this dude's name, this, like, grand overlord of this planet, like, the greatest world on this planet, his name is Nikara, right? Uh, which is Latin for, or it's Latin, but it's the verb to kill, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah. Right? Uh, 
And obviously he names you. And he names you uh, Child of Death, right? Which is more interesting when you keep in mind that his name literally means to kill. Uh, so he yeah. kind of named you as his own son, which is quite cool. Uh, but you would always be known by the Logothic of your name, which is Mortarian. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. So, yes, today we are talking about the Pale King, Mortarian, the Lord of Death, as he is known. It's got a few names. Oh. Yeah, I was like, wait, you just spoiled it, like, casually, what it was, but... <laughs> Alright, nice. <laughs> no, no, this is the naming point. <laughs> this is when this happens. Oh. Oh, I thought it was like, I thought you just skipped to that because of a slip up, but no, it's... No, no, the dude just named you because he, he just found a baby in a field, decided he was keeping it and decided to name it. Well, this story has already started out being very, I don't know. It gets worse and better at the same time, don't worry. Alright, alright, alright. Yeah, fair warning though, this is Mortarian, you're going to see some weird shit in this episode. Oh, yeah, probably, yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, as time goes on, Nakara uh, obviously raises you. When you get a little bit older, he decides he needs to test you for his own safety. Uh, yeah. He needs to know how high you can climb before the poison gets you. <laughs> for his oh. own safety, right? Because if it's right to the top, he needs to leave. Because if you decide you don't like him one day, you're going to fucking kill him. <laughs> <laughs> right? no one else can do that <laughs> but if you can he needs to know about it so yep. he just lets you climb the mountain from the bottom and when you get to a point you can't go any higher he marks it and then builds a big ass wall around that height and then builds his mansion above that point <laughs> okay it's a lot of work but like well he's a weird chaos alien overlord he can do what he likes I guess I'm not going to question his yeah. motives Survival is a key, I guess. <laughs> it's just security, you know. Yeah. So he builds this huge wall of black iron all the way around this height in the mountain so you can't get to him. <laughs> and then he just continues continues to raise you anyway. <laughs> this is uh, so weird. He's a weird dude, right? <laughs> so Raise Your Zone teaches you to be a warlord like him. Uh... So he taught you about, like, you know, strategy, but also just straight-up combat, right? Yeah. And he even, like, had you fighting at the front of his armies and stuff. So you were getting proper, like, one-on-one -on -one against other warlords kind of combat. You were getting real experience, yeah. right? And uh, time goes by, and you obviously hear rumors. You hear about the humans that live in the valleys, that live in the lowlands, right? And you're yeah. like, well, I'm an eye a human, <laughs> right? <laughs> And you're like, well, can I go meet them? And dad, no. Dad's like, absolutely fucking not, right? <laughs> no, nope. that's bad. We don't do that here, right? Uh, but you've seen the humans. Like, you've seen them being taken as prisoners and stuff for his experiments and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, at some point, your curiosity eventually gets the better of you and you decide you're going to go see the humans. Yeah. Right? You're like, you know, fine, I'm just going to sneak out for a bit. Unfortunately, when you sneak out, Dad finds out, and the last thing you hear from him is him screaming after you down the mountain that if you come back, you will die. Like, what? he's taking you leaving as you, like, turning your back on him. That is, oh. like, the ultimate betrayal to him. He said, don't leave, don't go meet the humans. 
basically, I think he hadn't indoctrinated you enough yet to hate them and do what he wanted. Uh, yeah. But also, I guess there's he was obviously very afraid of what you represented because you were an actual threat to him, unlike anything else on the planet. So I guess there's that whole thing of if he goes and meets the humans out of curiosity, that's too open-minded for me. There's a chance that they just turn him against me and now I've actually got a problem. So I think he was yeah. trying to like, fuck it, cards on the table, go all the way with the biggest thing I can say and just be like, if you come back, you die. Try yeah. and like scare him off from coming back because if he does, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to this little village that's at the bottom of this valley relatively nearby. And mm-hmm. this is a weird thing, right? You... A bunch of firsts occur here, right? This is the first time that you smell, like, good food cooking, right? Yeah. This is the first time that you hear genuine laughter. And this is the first time, you know, being in, like, a nice environment with humans out of the poison. This is the first time yeah. in your entire life you've been able to see people without a wall of poison fog between you and them. Oh, God. Yeah. Right? This is like day and night difference to you. This is the fucking utopia as far as you're concerned. It's an eye-opener. That's what it is. Fucking right. And you decide that you want to, like, you want to join them. You want to be part of this, right? But Mm -hmm. you obviously find out, you know, what has actually been happening to them, what the people from these mountains have been doing to them. Yeah. And you're like, well you realize that what's really been going on is that they've been trying, the overlords have been trying to destroy this little piece of actual happiness on this miserable fucking world for no reason, as far as you're concerned. It's just terrible. So you, you kind of, you decide you're going to try and be a savior to these people, right? Mm -hmm. You can fight. You can do that. You can try. So you're like, right, let's do this. But the thing is, the humans don't just accept you at that. They're not like, oh, cool, a savior sent from the gods. You're just some random, giant, skinny creep, right? Like, you've just came down from the fog, like all the other overlords do, and, like, your skin is stuck to your bones because there's not an ounce of fat on you. Your eyes are all sunken. You're pale as shit, right? You just look like one of the overlords at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And they're going to be like... Yeah, they're not going to take that well. Yeah, so they're like keeping you at arm's length. They're like, this guy's a freak. (laughs) Like, that he had his head on the way down. What the fuck's going on here? (laughs) So, you're like, right, okay, uh, need to get on the same page as them. Need to prove to them that I'm, you know, a good guy, I guess, right? That I'm just another human, really. So, you decide you're going to just do anything you can. Right? Anything you can to help out. So you're just generally a friendly dude. You'll chat away with them. You'll, you know, whatever you can. But then you also do everything you can to help out, right? And the main point of that is just straight up manual labor. Because this is like a medieval village, right? They are farming to live and stuff like that. So, like, if some dude's wheel falls off his cart, you'll lift it for him so he can put the wheel back on, right? You'll Mm. help hoarding the animals and stuff. I don't know if there are animals, but whatever, right? You're a farmhand for the most part, but otherwise, anything they ask for, you'll do to help, right? Yeah, I'm generally just a good guy. That's it. But the farming is a big part of it because you got to remember, these are normal humans that are farming to live, and farming takes a lot of manual labor, 
when you mm. well what if you don't have animals to plow fields and stuff right that is a lot of work for humans to do and these are humans that are probably kind of sickly because this entire planet is poisoned right yeah so being a primarch you are essentially an unstoppable force of endurance compared to them so you just work and work and work right so yeah it gets to nighttime and they have to go sleep and stuff like that. They're taking shifts, maybe, whatever. Nah, you just keep going, right? You work for days on end, bring their whole harvest in basically on your own, right? And they're starting to think, this might be a good guy, actually. Like, even if we just keep him around, even if he isn't the savior, it's going to make our lives a hell of a lot easier, right? Yeah. So they're coming around to you. And this is when something kind of important happens, right? Pretty typical for them. You've never seen it before, though. They are raided by one of the overlords, right? One of these kind of chaosy weirdos that can survive the poison. Yeah. Right? And he obviously has his whole horde of shambling undead with him to do the kidnapping and stuff. But this isn't like like the overlord that was your dad. This is just like... That's just the title they give to all of these warlords, right? He's one of the kind of lesser ones. He's kind of a loser compared to your dad, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like that. if your dad was on par with a Primarch, this guy's the equivalent of, like, a planetary guardsman, right? He's kind of a nobody, but he's still a threat to, like, normal humans. Right? Yeah. Just not a threat to you, really. (laughs) So... The humans of this village do what they usually do. They start fighting back, right? Yeah. So they don't have, like, weapons, though. They have farming tools and flaming torches. So they start trying to defend themselves. And obviously some of them die, some of them get taken. Yeah. And this goes on as it usually would, right? Typical day of being raided for them. This happens relatively often. Every one of them's fought for their lives hundreds of times over by the time they make it to their 20s. Right? Yeah, this is just standard now. Aye, that's it. This is just any other data name. Until you emerge from the fucking cornfields like um, the monstrosity you are. <laughs> oh, God. Young Mortarian. Yes, now. Yes, right? now. You were just working away, fucking harvesting grain or whatever with your scythe when you heard this going on. And then you emerge yeah. from the fields... You brought your scythe with you, obviously. When as soon as you clock what's going on, you are right into the thick of things. You are taking the shambling undead in half with one sl- uh, one swing of your scythe. Right? You are hey. slaughtering them, cutting them down like chaff. Eventually, hey. the overlord is like, "Fuck this! I'm out." They've actually got someone that can fight. <laughs> Sack this shit. <laughs> So he, he just retreats above the kind of the base level of fog because they can't follow yeah. him. Yeah. Right. And while he's sitting there kind of like sneering, sniggering to himself about the weak humans, you emerge from the fog layer and take him in half. Yo. Get wrecked. <laughs> he underestimated you. Oh, he did. He did. 
I like to think of it as have you or we have these adverts that run once in a while uh, in the UK, which are advertising to recruit people to the Marines, right? And in the advert, yeah. there's a bit where the camera's just on a lake, and then the next thing, this guy just slowly emerges from the water. Right? I like to think that's what you did with the fog. This dude's sitting there like, ah, weak humans can't survive the water, and then you just like slowly glide up. I don't want to swear, but surprise, mother. Oh, shit. Oh, that's actually quite nice. Very cool. So this is the point where the humans start seeing you as the hero that you wanted to be. Yeah. And before we <laughs> move further into this, I just want to show you something, right? Every time yeah. I see this version of Mortarian, it makes me think of Candle Jack. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's right. going to be like five people that watch this that know who Candle Jack is, right? <laughs> he, Ryan, that's a violation. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a violation, right? That's not all right. So, in case you don't know, or in case anyone doesn't know, Candle Jack is obviously from a cartoon, right? I can't remember the name of the cartoon, but in this particular episode, it is a horror story kind of thing, like a ghost story kind of thing. And Candle Jack is like the slender man of the ghost story. And I believe the idea is that he would find you, tie you up, and put you in a sack. And that was yeah. it, basically. Right? He really wasn't much of a threat. But in this show, there is a... I think it's if you say his name... Then he comes and gets you like Bloody Mary. I think that's what it was. Um, yeah. And there's a bunch of the kids all in this cabin, and these they all say his name. I think there's like lightning or something. They get a fright and they all say his name. And then it just cuts to him outside a window, and he looks at the camera and just goes, "I'm gonna need more rope." <laughs> and it is the funniest goddamn thing. Oh, I don't know why it's just it's stuck with me since I was a kid. Just him looking at the window and saying that. So funny. <laughs> anyway, that's who Martarian is to me. <laughs> yeah. That this... explains a lot, by the way, that the backstory. <laughs> yeah. The... You, you've been messed up for a while. <laughs> I'm going to need more. <laughs> the, this is why I don't take Martarian seriously. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, God. <clears throat> so... Yeah, after you murdered that overlord and kind of saved the village a bit, you uh, were now seen as this kind of saviour you wanted to be, right? Because you had kind of proven yes. the point. You were a good guy, you were going to help out, but also you could protect them, and you could teach them to protect themselves, which is a big deal. Yeah. So, you were now their champion, but you're also their neighbour, right? This was a big deal. You were finally taken in by your own kind, right? Yeah. So it was a big deal on both sides. So... The years go by, you grow up, obviously you're kind of grown by this point, but you grew a bit more because that's just what Primarchs do, um, yep. and you train the humans in how to fight and defend themselves, how to fortify their villages. So these little villages, uh, as people flooded in from other areas who had heard about you being their defender, they were like, oh, well, that's the safest place. Fuck it, move there. So there was suddenly yeah. an influx of population, which meant more workers, more defenders, so the, some of these villages that you helped out gradually turned from villages to fortresses. Oh. They became actual defensible bastions, right? Evolution. That was yeah. it, yeah. Uh, but you also went round a bunch of the other villages 
training people in how to fight and stuff like that and helping out with just whatever they need help with really you would turn up spend like a few days there train a bunch of their dudes in how to fight properly and then you know fix a cart or two whatever it was needed done really right <laughs> you were just all going around being a good guy a bit of a samaritan as it were yeah uh so <clears throat> The main issue of what was kind of going on was that the humans still couldn't go fight the overlords, right? They could defend themselves now, but they still couldn't take the fight to them because they couldn't go up into the mountains because of the fog. So they were kind of stuck on the defensive. So you devised a plan, right? Mm -hmm. You recruited the strongest warriors, right? The most sturdy, like best endurance kind of warriors that you could find from all of these places you had been to, right? You went round all the villages again, hand-picked the best of the best, right? The toughest people. And we're like, right, you're coming with me. And what you did was you got the blacksmiths, when they didn't require tools immediately, like to be making tools, you had them go on to making weapons, right? You showed them the kind of things you needed made, right? You had them making armor, you trained these troops one-on-one for, like, you drilled them for long periods of time. So they became elite troops under you with actual weapons and armor able to fight properly. But, mm-hmm. like with most Primarchs, you had a mind for inventing, right? And what you invented out of necessity was, like, a rebreather, like a, a toxin filtration system. Mm. Right, yeah. which would allow them to go into the fog yeah. to fight. So from this point on, these troops were known as your death guard, right? Mm-hmm. And you would lead them in actual assaults to take down the overlords rather than just defending from them. But you also had the benefit of if you were attacked, you could pursue them into the fog. So you could be like they were already on the back foot from losing in their assault on the village. But now you yeah. can just chase after them and cut them down. Right? So the overlords gradually got whittled away by you and your troops. There, yeah. there was a secondary thing that happened with them as well, because you gradually kept improving their gear. So you were constantly working on better ways to have this filtration stuff work. But also the, you were having better weapons built, better armor device, stuff like that. Yeah. And obviously they were constantly getting better at fighting because they were now doing it alongside you. Yeah. Uh, but there was a kind of a secondary thing that went on, which was because they were exposed to the fog so often, but with the filtration device, it was like a low level version of that particular poison. Right. Mm-hmm. So they started to develop an immunity to it. Right. So they, okay. they didn't yeah. become fully immune at any point, but. With their bodies uh, developing a natural immunity to this and the the gradually improving filtration devices you were building for them, they were able to go mm-hmm. higher and higher into these mountains to hunt down even more of the overlords. Yeah. And eventually, it comes to a point where there's only one overlord left, and it is Nakari. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, guess who it is? <laughs> it's Dad, right? Yes. He is the last one, right? And Mm -hmm. as you are aware, his particularly high mountaintop fucking uh, mansion is near the first village you were at. So you round up your death guard and you head back there. Now that the rest of the planet is relatively safe, you just head back there with your death guard. 
But when you yeah. get back, you start hearing these rumors, right, about this fucking arsehole that's turned up and is trying to steal your thunder. Some new guy has turned up and claims he's gonna he's brought salvation with him. He's gonna save the day. Right? And you're like, I've fought yeah. for this for so long, and this dude thinks he can just turn up and claim he's gonna save everyone. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Fuck it. So Scram. you get you are pissed off, right? You find out that he's in this banquet hall. You basically fold the door in half going in there, right? Because you're pissed oh, off, God. right? And you get in there and you're like, the fuck are you doing? And there's this dude, in, this gigantic dude in gold armor sitting there with the village elders. Right? And it's like looking at polar opposites, right? The village elders are all like skinny, pale, gaunt. And there's this giant hulking dude who looks like the Omega <laughs> Chad sitting there with a tan, like, happening. <laughs> so you kind of, you, you end up chatting with him for a bit. You kind of challenge him on his claims that he's going to turn up and save the day. And you're like, no, like I'm fucking saving the day here. I've worked for this for decades. I'm doing this. Yeah. So the guy's like, all right, all right, I'll make you a deal, right? If you think you can go do this on your own, right? Prove it, go do it on your own. But if you can't, you work for me, right? But you're already pissed off. So you're like, all right, fine, fuck it, I'll do that. Fuck you, right? I'm going to go kill him. So you leave your death guard behind and you march up that mountain on your own. Right? Mm -hmm. And you start climbing, and you start climbing, right? This, there you go. There's a picture of you and your armor climbing, right? Ooh, so you nice. are scaling this goddamn mountain, right? And when you finally get to the top, I, I want to I wanna explain to you, you still cannot survive this poison, right? As you're getting higher and higher, it's to the point that, like, when you reach Nakari, your armor is like rotting off of your body. All of the hoses for like the filtration system have melted. So you're just straight breathing poison now, right? Ugh. And you're yeah. like, you're struggling to stay conscious, right? You're all dizzy and your eyes are blurry and you're in agony and everything. And obviously, brief fight breaks out and yeah. you're just struggling not to collapse because of the poison. And eventually you do start to fall. And when you do, and you're in your kind of blurred vision, trying desperately to stay awake, right? You're staring yeah. at Nakari as he walks towards you. And he explains that he is going to fulfill that promise he made to you the day you left. That if you returned, it would be your He's death. Kill me. Yeah. Right? But before he can actually kill you, you see this stranger, this hulking figure, step between you and cut him in half in one swing. Just drops Nakari in one swing. Ooh, I know who it, I think I know who it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, this man carries you back down the mountain to safety and gives you time mm -hmm. to recover. And once you've recovered, you go and you talk to him and he explains who he is, that he is the emperor of mankind, your actual yes. father, not that arsehole he cut in half. <laughs> uh, and that obviously you are his son, you will be one of his generals. Uh, yes. And obviously you did make a deal with him in your rage, but you would have anyway, because, you know, why not? What, what have you got better going on, I guess? Uh, yeah. So you bend the knee and you swear loyalty to the emperor of mankind. You. Yeah. Uh, you. Yeah. So... I'm going to show you what you look like, kind of modern day. 
Ooh, I'm cool. Yeah. So this isn't like full on demon version, but I think this is definitely a chaos inspired uh, artwork. I still think it looks cool. Yeah, when he gets to like full on demon version, he's got big butterfly wings and a big tat or a slightly more tattered cloak, and the scythe like looks that. like it's made out of something spine. Um, what? Yeah, I like that. It's That's quite cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, but uh, this I think this is like mid heresy. I think, but I don't know for sure. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So I think like he's he's like in Winurgle or he's no, actually, no, he wouldn't be in Winurgle. I think he's like kind of getting towards the point of being in Winurgle, but he's not quite there yet. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on swiftly. So. Uh, he obviously introduces you to your legion. You are given the uh, the 14th legion, which is the Dusk Raiders, known because they always attacked at dusk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you renamed them to suit you as the Death Guard, like your elite troops. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of... You did reorganize your legion a little bit, like a lot of the Primarchs do when they take over, right? They instill their values, their ideals in the legion. And you did exactly that, right? So you kind of made it a point of unrelenting endurance is the main thing here, right? That's what we value, right? That's how things would be done. And that is what your legion ended up embodying more than anything, right? Uh, so, like, the Death Guard are famous for their endurance out of all the legions. So, where other legions would use, like, hit-and-run tactics or subterfuge or psychers, right? you weren't about any of that. The Death Guard would walk to the battlefield, rack their weapons into their shoulders, and march. They would march, and they would shoot, and they would keep marching, right? They yeah. would never back up. They would never retreat. They would never give ground. They always pressed forward, no matter what, and every foe eventually buckled under that unrelenting pressure. That was mm. it. Simple as. It's a good yeah. way of doing things, really. It's a genuinely a really good strategy in a way. Um, you know what, actually, just as a side thing, right? I always liked uh, the World Eaters, because their strategy for war, nowadays it's just total chaos, right? But when they were yeah. an actual legion, right? When, like, say, for example, when they first got Angron back, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When they went to war, right? They marched to war, right? They didn't mm-hmm. run in. They didn't charge. They didn't any of this stuff. They slowly marched to war, right? Yeah. And apparently that unnerved their enemies so severely that it basically broke morale of their enemies. Because you just had this, like, tens of thousands of these gigantic warriors in hulking armor just slowly marching towards you like they're going for a walk, right? Like, you're not even there. They don't. They, their weapons yeah. aren't readied. They aren't, like, revving their chainswords and stuff and brandishing their weapons, taking aim, none of this, right? They're not yeah. worried at all. You are not even an obstacle to them. They just marched until they met Unbothered. you. That was yeah. it. 
And apparently it was so, like, stoic that it became terrifying to their enemies. Oh, God. I mean, I could imagine. Holy shit. Yeah, it's quite a cool concept, actually. Yeah, just totally unbothered, like, yes. Yeah. We know what we got. Just another Wednesday, guys. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just another Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So... Interesting thing I like to share about the uh, about the Death Guard, right? So mm-hmm. they have a tradition in their legion, right? Mortarian specifically brought in this tradition, where mm-hmm. uh, they w- they would have a celebration kind of thing. It was for morale, right? It was both a test and a celebration, where yeah. Mortarian would share a chalice of poison with his favored warriors. So if you yeah. did really well in a war, like in a particular battle, Mortarian would choose to favor you and would share a gla- like a chalice of poison with you. But it was as much a test to see if you could withstand the poison as it was a celebration of you having done really well, of like him yeah. expressing his favor. Which is quite cool. Yeah. Uh, so I believe it's like the fifth book of the heresy, which is flight of the eisenstein which is about the death guard it's the death guard at the start of the heresy uh but it takes the it takes the standpoint of nathaniel garrow who is the battle commander or something right he's the one that flees at estevan 3 and goes and warns the emperor about the heresy right at the start he's that guy right so he was one of mortarian's dudes and they have that he he is like invited into that poisoning drinking ritual right at the start of it and there's like there's a whole monologue of him just like trying not to express how much pain he's in from drinking it because he doesn't want to like embarrass himself in front of mortarian (laughs) (laughs) so i thought it was quite funny yeah yeah all right we're gonna move on a little bit now so this is we're gonna go into like the fall to chaos kind of part of this, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah because up until now, I don't feel like I'd, I've had any hints of like him falling into chaos at all. No, not really. It's been right. pretty pretty, pretty cool so far, to be honest with you. It's been pretty chill. We, uh, like, he, he sounds more like a hero at the po- at, at the moment. That's it. he is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tell me about the, the chaos, right? Oh, my God. I just realized. What? Remember, it was a few episodes ago, we were talking about like, I think we're talking about, like, heroes to villains kind of thing. Oh, villains to heroes, sorry. Like, friends to enemies kind of thing. Oh, enemies to friends kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I want a bastardization arc. I want to see the good guy turn evil. That's what all of the fucking traitors are. I was supposed to say, wait, what? Just bastardization arcs. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) I never realized. (laughs) Bastardization arcs. Holy shit. Oh, I never knew how how much I wanted that, but I just realized I've had it all along. Okay. This is my best at orange story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's it. So, uh, at the beginning of the heresy, obviously, Horus had, like, Fulgrim on site because he was possessed, had Angron on site because he could ma- manipulate him, but he wasn't yeah. sure about getting Martarian, right? Uh, but eventually, he found his way in, right? So, Martarian hated the warp since Nakari was obviously some warp bullshittery and was an evil yeah. arsehole. So he was also power mad to boot as well. Um, so Horus basically just used the, the whole thing of Mortarian distrusting the warp so much and kind of mm-hmm. convinced him that obviously they all knew the Emperor used the warp, right? But yeah. he kind of used that angle 
that the emperor was kind of power mad because now he's to the point he doesn't even feel he has to be there to oversee his wars. He's just telling his yeah. kids to do it for him, right? Obviously, all of the Primarchs were already upset that the Emperor was now back on Terra and had put Horus in charge. So that was an extra mm-hmm. one there. And he kind of convinced him about the whole thing of the Emperor being into the warp, tainting him. So all in all, this there was enough there that he was able to get Mortarion on side for the heresy. Right? Yeah. Uh, so... He ends up obviously being part of the whole Estevan Three thing, where he clears out his legion of all the the loyalists, mm-hmm. misses one, and Nathaniel Garrow escapes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little awkward when that happens. He was the one guy that actually like was a threat if he escaped, because he managed to warn them. <laughs> he was he was the one loyalist that had his own fucking flagship. <laughs> <laughs> the one guy you don't kill is the one loyalist yeah. who has a fucking spaceship of his own and can go tell people. You had one job, right? Right. <laughs> you had one job. Yeah. To be fair, we like Nathaniel Garrow. He's a cool guy. But, oh, yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. But anyway, so he even gets on board with all that, clears out his legion of anyone that's not vaguely evil, right? And there's a lot goes on in this kind of time period, right? There's a lot of Mortarian trying to murder Jagatai Khan. It starts with him trying to recruit Jagatai Khan and and rapidly turns into him trying to murder Jagatai Khan because he can't recruit Jagatai Khan. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of that goes on. There's a few instances where they fight, right? So there's a bit of that goes on. And then Mortarian decides he's going to start purging the worlds around Prospero. Which is Magnus's homeworld that they that the space yeah. wolves burnt, right? So he goes there to recruit the Khan, fails to recruit the Khan, and in the kind of failure, he's like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna go start burning planets around here." So he's just dicking around in the general area, destroying stuff. Uh, and on one of these worlds, he meets a woman who is possessed by a demon, and. Mm-hmm. He has to use his own kind of innate psyker powers to get rid of the demon, to kill it, right? To banish it. Yeah. But in doing so, he realizes, one, that he has warp powers, but also that the Emperor had lied to them quite severely about the truth of the warp, right? Because now he knows demons are real and he was able to banish one and all this stuff. So he learned a bit, he learned a lot in that one time. So he turned more against the Emperor. But he also kind of vowed that he would learn to control the Empyrean, like the the war, Mm -hmm. right? But he would do it without it controlling him. That is a brave statement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, from this point on, he gets gradually kind of more and more into, like, seeking secret knowledge. Right? Yeah. Because he thinks knowledge is how he's going to control the war. It's not. <laughs> For the record. Uh, so it, it got to a point that he was like hoarding Xeno and warp artifacts and like experimenting with them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this kind of comes to a head when he ends up sacrificing a bunch of his own elite troops to, rec- uh, to revive one of his dead lieutenants who 
His, his name is Ignatius uh, Gulgor? Gugor? Grugor? It's in there somewhere, anyway. Uh, so he brings this guy back to life by sacrificing a bunch of his dudes. But he's obviously like a big warp thing now. Yeah. So that's the trade-off you make, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So... You then spend another great deal of time trying to murder Jagatai Khan and the White Scars because Horus has ordered you to. Uh, And eventually, because you fail to murder him again, uh, eventually you get the order from Horus to muster for the Siege of Terra. Everyone's getting together for a big party to go fuck up Terra. So you first have to meet up with the rest of your legion because you've separated at this point. And you had left your second in command, your your first captain, uh, a man called Callus Typhon, right here. You had left him oh. in charge of the bulk of the legion while you were off hunting Jagatai Khan. Yeah. Right? So you go and you meet up with them, and then you're going to all do one big warp jump together to go meet Horus. Yeah. Now... Immediately, it seems like Callus Typhon here is acting weird, right? He doesn't seem quite right, and you're you're suspicious, right? And he, he manages to convince you that you should all go on his flagship, or well, you should join him on his flagship, the Terminus Est, rather than taking your ship, which is the Endurance, right? So you mm-hmm. so you're like, all right, fine, whatever. So you go with him, you do the warp jump. So while you're in the warp, right, this dude, Typhon, starts freaking out, claiming that all of the navigators are Imperial agents. They're traitors working for Malkador the Sigilite. Okay. So he orders all of their executions. So you're now in the warp yeah. without navigators. Right? Yeah, that's not a good situation to be in. Yeah, so you're obviously like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> right? And he's like, don't worry, my dudes are specially trained, we'll manage. And you're like, doubt. <laughs> <laughs> doubt. <laughs> right? uh, now, weird shit starts to happen, because you're stuck in the warp for fucking ages. Right? Yeah. So, it begins with flies. <laughs> Just a bunch of flies start turning up all over the Terminus Est, right? Mm-hmm. But I say flies. I'm pretty sure they're actually wasps. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in the middle of those two. I'll, I'll show you them. Uh, this is a destroyer. What? This is a destroyer wasp. Okay, it looks dangerous. Yeah. So these fuckers started appearing on the ship. Right? And they would oh, infect God. people. They would infect yeah. the Marines, right? So what they do is they burrow inside them, lay a bunch of eggs, right? The Marine obviously is in unbelievable agony. They, their body starts to bloat and, like, rot from the inside out. But they can't die. They're just in unbelievable agony and, and swelling with these fuckers inside them until eventually they oh. burst open. Their stomach just bursts open, and thousands of these fuckers fly out. And then they go yeah. off and they infect other people. And this dude is left alive with these things crawling around inside him with his stomach burst open. <coughs> yeah, it's disgusting. <coughs> that is what's known as the Destroyer Plague. And these are the Destroyers. 
Yeah. Yeah. So this obviously becomes a problem because <laughs> all of your legion is now suffering with this bullshit. But eventually, yeah. uh, obviously, you try to get the apothecaries to find a cure for this. You're obviously all going around swatting bugs all the time, but you can't get rid of them all because people are infected with them and the people don't die. The apothecaries can't find a cure for any of it or a way to get rid of them all. So there's nothing to do for it except for suffer it and try to survive. But the thing is, you can't die anyway. For some reason, your Marines will not die, no matter what happens. Right? Yeah. And it's when Mortarion himself finally starts to fall ill that he decides to face Typhon and accuse him of treachery. Right? And mm -hmm. when he does, Typhon immediately admits that he lied about all of it. Right, the the navigators were not traitors. Right, this was all by design, but it was for a bigger picture that you're not seeing. Right, yeah, he just wants you to embrace the gift that is Grandfather Nurgle. Right, just get on board, man. <laughs> Obviously, Mortarion goes fucking nuts and starts attacking him. Yeah, but Typhon is kind of chaosy at this point, as you might have guessed, and now has. Pretty enhanced psyker powers. And he starts, he uses his powers to defend himself. He's able to hold off Mortarion's attacks for a bit, but yeah. only for a time. Eventually, he breaks through this and downs Typhon, right? Kills him right then and there. Yeah. But unfortunately, as is usually the first gift from Grandfather Nurgle, Typhon just comes back to life. <laughs> right? So Mortarion decides, trump card time, and unleashes the warp monster that is that fucking is Lieutenant Ignatius Grugor. Right? He unleashes him and he strangles Typhon to death. Oh god. Right? I, I guess his thinking is like he's came back to life because he's like now all warpy. Maybe this big warp monster dude I've got can murder him. <laughs> I guess that's his thinking. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't take either, and Typhon comes back to life again. And then the two of them start laughing, and you realise that you've been betrayed by both of them. They, they're both working for Nurgle. And they have been the whole fucking time, basically. Yeah. And... Now, keep in mind, you are infected with the disease now, right? Mm -hmm. and you are suffering, you are struggling, right? It is getting worse and worse. And before it kind of takes hold of you properly, uh, the last kind of thing you see is as a reward for their, you know, their work on behalf of Nurgle, Nurgle mm -hmm. uh, gifts them a boon, and Grugor dissolves into Typhon's body, and Typhon becomes a living host for the Destroyer Plague. So the plague that Nurgle has created, that is these bugs, now originate from within Callus Typhon. Right? Who has yeah. now been renamed and remade, reborn, if you will, as Typhus, Herald of Nurgle. Oh, oh and bearer of the destroyer plague. Looks kind of disgusting. Yeah, he's fucking disgusting. 
<laughs> yeah, not epic anymore. Disgusting. I don't like it. Disgusting. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> so, <clears throat> after seeing this, the disease finally kind of overtakes you and you start hallucinating, right? You're on the floor yeah. of your of your ship, or of his ship, with him standing over you, hallucinating your tits off. And you think that you're back on uh, on Barbarous, choking on the poison fog, right? And you hear mm-hmm. the voice of Nurgle speak to you. And it tells you you have two choices. You can either bear the suffering... In which mm-hmm. case, it will be endless. It will be this endless suffering for all eternity, for you and all of your sons, never able to die. Or you can embrace his gift. You can work with Nurgle. You can become his son. In which case, the suffering all goes away. Your legion will all be safe and fine. And you will know power like you have never known before. Mm, obviously you have no choice in the matter you have to accept because you want your kids to be okay right yeah of course your thoughts in this point in time are not about you or typhus or typhon or whoever the fuck he's pretending to be now right (laughs) they are just your legion is suffering and you can fix it simple as that yeah so you do you accept the gifts of grandpapa nurgle and you become the was it demon prince of Nurgle or demon primarch of Nurgle, I should say. So you're effectively yeah. half demon now, for the record. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously, after this, you are able to leave the warp because you now work for Nurgle, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you go to the siege uh, because it's more appropriate. I'm going to bring up the picture of big half demon Mortarian now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't have a picture of full demon mortarian, unfortunately. I apologize. I've missed out on that one. But don't right. worry. He's got a lot of storyline coming up in future episodes because the Plague Wars is an incredible storyline which features him being 40 feet tall with butterfly wings for some reason. Oh, God. They never explain it. <laughs> Three books. They never explain why for five minutes he was 40 feet tall and had butterfly wings. Anyway. <laughs> I assume they were rotting butterfly wings, but it still doesn't explain the height. (laughs) Anyway, so you escape the warp with your legion, and Mm -hmm. I I, want to make it clear, you guys went into the warp as the Death Guard, right? The legion Mm -hmm. with polished, immaculate armor, weapons ready to go, ready for war, and you leave as plague-ridden, rotting, Chaos Marines. Mm-mm-mm. Why an upgrade? Yeah. Or something. But it's been like a day, but you are in there for decades, right? So the rest of the legions are still in the process of falling to chaos, right? Like, Fulgrim's yeah. dudes, fair enough, there are some noise marines kicking around, but the rest of them are still in the process of becoming chaos marines, right? You guys are like 40 years ahead of the rest of them. You are steeped in it. Right? Yeah. Like a nick from the sword or knife of one of your troops will rot a man from the inside out in about three seconds at this stage. You are you mm. are Nurgle through and through now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so uh we come to like the siege itself, right? And 
the main role Martarian plays, and the Death Guard play, I suppose, is after Perturabo leaves, because they take over running the siege, right? They can take point and all. Yeah. Before that point, they were involved, but Mortarian had basically he 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 had been promised that he and his Death Guard could be the first ones on the ground for the for for the the chaos troops for the the traitors, right? So they were they were yeah. the first ones to begin the assault because they're great assault troops because they just keep marching basically, right? They're like an yeah. un- unstoppable bulwark, and. There, there's like a kind of a side thing that goes on here that's very important because Martarian's main role at this stage is that he's now a demon Primarch and suddenly is filled with chaos and uh, psyker powers that he doesn't know how to control. So he's just in yeah. endless agony all the time and has no idea how to control his powers. And he ends up meeting up with Magnus and Magnus teaches him how to control his powers properly. So he's free of the pain and he can actually use the gifts Nurgle has given him to their actual uses, to their full potential. Yeah. And then Mortarion returns the favour and basically allows a Magnus to be able to sneak into the Imperial Palace through the underground pathways. But the main point of Mortarion's storyline for the siege is kind of his main role kicks off once Pertorabo fucks off and his dudes take point. And... Yeah. Once he leaves and Mortarian's in charge, his overall goal is still killing Jagatai Khan. <laughs> yeah. So that's basically what he goes for. There is a really cool fight because Mortarian... Uh... So, right. The Jagatai Khan thing is the main part, but there's an interesting thing that happens first that I say I'll mention. Mortarian meets Nathaniel Garrow because he survived and made it back to Terra and has since founded the Grey Knights. He's recruited all the main members of the Grey Knights during the whole heresy. And now he's just on Terra, participating in the defence for the siege. And he meets yeah. Martarian, loyalist son and traitor father. And the two of them end up going like having this big fucking brawl, this big one-on-one fight. And Mortarian is actually injured by this dude. He murders him, but he is actually injured. He gets, like, wounded on his neck by him, which is quite cool. It's like a chink in the armour, like Horus with Sanguinius. Uh, Not that it really does a lot, but it's cool, though. They have a really cool moment in their fight. That's good. Yeah. Uh, But then, obviously, we go on to the whole thing of his main point here is trying to kill the Khan. So that... That comes about, the whole fight between him and the Khan comes about because there is a spaceport attached to the Lion's Gate, which is one of the main gates into the palace, right? Mm-hmm. And the traitors have already taken it by this point, and Mortarian decides to set that up as a headquarters, so this spaceport, because he can fly troops directly in now. So he starts running the siege from there. And... Yeah. The Khan decides to amass a big group of soldiers to do like a like a revolt kind of thing against him and try and evict him from the spaceport. Yeah. And it basically just leads to a one-on-one fight between Mortarian and the Khan. And you gotta remember that at this point Mortarian is all juiced up on chaos fucking steroids. So the Khan is no match for him, right? Yeah. But the Khan is smart. 
he knows how to hunt properly. So he decides he needs to find a way in, and he does. Your pride. So he just starts mocking Mortarion for being so weak as to fall to chaos. And only... Yeah. I'm sorry, just you've mentioned this before in the previous episode. I think when we talked about it there... Yeah, yeah we, in the Khan's episode, I'm sure we talked about it. In the Khan's episode, we, yeah, where he mocked him for... His, yeah. yeah, he oh, just yeah. starts like, ripping the piss out of him for being weak and falling to chaos. Yeah. Thing How is, weak-minded of falling into chaos like that? <laughs> thing is, right, we know from, from now that we're doing it on Mortarion's side, because on Jagatai Khan's side, that is a perfectly valid thing to say, and he is right, as far as he's concerned. Yeah. But on Mortarion's yeah. side, we know... He wasn't weak to fault the chaos. It wasn't weakness. It was compassion. He did it for his kids. Right? Yeah. So Mortarion goes fucking nuts because it is twice the insult that Jagatai Khan thinks it is. And ends yeah. up kind of swinging blind a bit. Uh, but while the Khan is now at more of an advantage in the fight, he still gets kind of impaled on the scythe. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah, he impales the can on the side. And oh, that's true. yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there was an incredibly cool bit where the can, rather than trying to get off of it, just grabs it and drags himself further down it to get closer to Mortarion, and then in one swing decapitates him. Oh, that's kind of badass. Yeah. That's and because if we go down, we go down together. Well, that's you it. Know? The thing is, the Khan is just found later on, lying and carried away, and is fine. <laughs> he was just <laughs> impaled a little oh, yeah. bit. That happens a lot. They all get impaled at some point. Um. So, with his or obviously being decapitated, Mortarion should be dead. But the thing is. He is actually a demon Primarch now. He is half demon. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't die. He just gets like kicked out of reality into the warp. Yeah. Yeah. And that is him evicted from the siege. That is his role, Dunzo. Uh, although, once they're in the warp, because Barbarous is destroyed. So there are three stories about how Barbarous is destroyed, right? It was either virus bombed after the siege, uh, like after the heresy. Uh, that's one story that's told about it. In another book, it is said that the Dark Angels destroyed it with cyclonic torpedoes before the siege, I believe. And there's a third story, which I can't remember what it is. But basically, basically, Barbarous is fucking gone, but no one's quite sure how that happened. Right? Yeah. So basically anyone can claim that they did it and no one can really argue with them. Uh, it might have been uh, it might have been you know, general virus bombing to clear up traitor planets. It might have been Dark Angels blowing up planets because they like doing that. But yeah. in the end uh, the Dark Angel the Death Guard I don't know why I struggle so much to think about it. The Death Guard eventually end up taking over a planet within the Eye of Terror that gets known as the Plague Planet, and that becomes their new homeworld. The Plague Planet. Plague Planet. Well, they're not very creative when naming their planets, I'll be honest with you, right? Because once Magnus moves into the Eye of Terror, his planet is known as the Planet of the Sorcerers. 
<laughs> That's very creative. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's a magical name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. But uh, yep. that is the story of the Pale King, Mortarion. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, God. Oh, God damn. Well, I missed one picture. Jagatai Khan fighting, oh. fighting Mortarion. I apologize. Right, that's a cool picture. Just, that's a cool picture as cool, well. Although, for the record, this is quite clearly someone's artwork. I will, yeah. I will find the way to credit them, and I will put it in the description of the podcast and the YouTube video. Because yes. this is I just want to say it's, it's very cool. It's incredibly cool, and it really does show the point very well. But yeah, I just can't read that. So I will find out who they are. <laughs> I will, I will find any way to tag them. I can. But. Yes. That aside, we have a tier list to do. We do, we do. We're going to okay. tear it up. And he is... Where is Motorio? Oh, God. Uh, I think he's... Here we go. Second in C tier. Right below Corvus Korak. Ah. I feel like he has to go up, you know? Oh, I would think so. Because, like... But just because, like, you know... What really caught me is, you know, the the sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, what you say, sacrifice of himself going uh, full, uh, full chaos with the, uh, like you say, the compassion part of yeah. it, right? Yeah. Like that's very noble because, <laughs> as you say, with the Khan as well, mocking him for going into, into chaos. Like there's two sides of the the story, right? Yeah. Uh, I I like that. I think he has to move up like at least two or three spaces. Not tiers but spaces so uh, i think he's kind of mm. so he can either so if we're doing two or three right it would either be a above ferris manis but below rogal dorn or it would be above rogal dorn but below the can i think yo keep keep him oh but i actually kind of like this one more than Oh, uh, okay. I get it messed up. I like the whole Khan t- situation that they're close to each other, yeah. right? Yeah. So he always tried to catch Khan. You know, I put him right behind Khan, but that's fine. Yeah. Keep in mind, you are <laughs> getting to reorganize all of these later on with perspective, knowing all the stories. So don't worry. Yeah. Right? Don't, don't worry about them not being quite right compared to each other. Yeah. I'm going to throw it out there, right? Mm-hmm. I just love that Lorgar is in one on his own. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we contemplated on making like a completely new tier. We didn't like, even have to. This last episode, like we had somebody in the last tier put them up just so he could stand there alone. Yeah, yeah. Somehow in Lorgar's episode, Conrad Kerr has got upgraded in the tier list. <laughs> like, how is that even possible? Right? Oh, that's uh, funny though. That's beautiful. But oh man, that is us for this week. I feel like this was a really good episode. Yeah. Not to toot my own horn. <laughs> Not to toot my own horn, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, damn straight. All right. Well, do you want me to round it out, Ryan? Yeah, go for it. Well, then, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Iterators of the Imperium Podcast. It has been me, Miss, and Ryan, and we will see you in the next one. Take care and peace. Bye.